Welcome to Connections. I'm Colleen Hood with Mike Tom. In July of 2013, Dr. Buck Blodgett experienced every parent's worst nightmare. His daughter was murdered and he made headlines eventually for forgiving her killer. Now, Dr. Blodgett has taken the most traumatic event that could ever happen to a parent and he has transformed it into a mission. We'll hear how he managed to forgive and how he hopes this new mission of his will impact other families around the world. That's today on Connections. In July of 2013, Dr. Buck Blodgett experienced every parent's worst nightmare. A friend who was welcome in the home, who knew the family and knew the family's schedule, came into their home and murdered his daughter, Jessie. He made headlines for forgiving the killer and has now taken this most traumatic event that could ever happen and transformed it into a mission that's called the Love is Greater Than Hate Project, which we'll hear about later on today's show. I can't, I can't imagine going... F- through that and the emotions that you must feel and you come to this project love is stronger than hate i'm gonna guess that your first reaction as a father is pretty intense for for the perpetrator right there's probably a lot of hate mixed up in in the emotions there you know you would think wouldn't you mike you would think if you would have told me before this happened i absolutely would have said the same thing you just said but that wasn't my first reaction and um or Joy's either, my wife Joy, we were in the police station with Detective Thickens on the third day after we lost Jess. And uh, that's when we found out it was Dan, her friend. And we, for three days, were, we're both chiropractors, and so we've spent, you know, decades just getting up and going to work every morning, and our job is taking care of people, taking care of people in pain. And, you know, when you squeeze an orange, what comes out is orange juice, because that's what's inside. And when we got squeezed bad mm. by life, what came out of us was what was inside of us, what we just were always in the lifelong habit of doing. We were just taking care of people. Wow. It was, um, you know, that's just what we did. And Dad, Dan was in that group of people we were taking care of. He came over to our house the day after he killed Jesse before anybody knew it was him. And he spent hours sitting with us at our vigil. Wow. And, uh, you know, so we just tried to take care of her friends. I wasn't I don't know how to explain not being angry, but it was more like shocked and uh, saddened. Despite everything that your family had been through and despite knowing the person who murdered your daughter, you eventually managed to forgive the killer. Yes, both me and Joy did. Um, It didn't start, it, it really started immediately, but not as a conscious choice. It was more like we were taking care of everybody Dan was in that group. When we found out it was him, it was like, oh, my God, what happened to Dan? What what could have gone so bad mm. that nobody knew about in his life? His parents, his fiance, his best lifelong friend, nobody knew. What could have gone so wrong that he'd be capable of such a thing? So um, we didn't react with hostility or animosity or vengeance and after a week or so, I started to notice the community's reaction and my family and my friends' reaction to our reaction. And it kind of slowly dawned on me over a few weeks that um, this atheist wasn't one anymore and that something was going on here that was larger than me and that Jess was involved and what would honor her more would be um, not to react on a lower level but on a higher level and to try to bring more love and kindness and forgiveness into this world because of what happened to her. I was, I was, as I'm listening to you talk, I'm thinking like, is there faith involved here? There must be something 
uh, a lot bigger than us involved. But so you were an atheist before you said? Yes, me and Jess. That's what we called ourselves at the time. I don't know if that was really true. I feel now like I've been on a lifelong journey, spiritual mm. journey. But at the time, yes. And how did faith come to play a role in it? Then it was just that like thinking about your daughter and trying to take that higher path? Well, it also happened over time, but um, the second night after she passed, at 3 a.m. in a hotel room, we couldn't sleep in the house. Joy couldn't sleep in the house for four days, so we went to a nearby hotel. I didn't sleep for three days. Um, didn't need to, didn't want to, just wired. The, the world had stopped for me, and I was just, it was all about Jesse and what happened. And um, <clears throat> I found myself uh, talking to someone at 3 in the morning in that second night in the hotel, and I felt like I was back in high school um, under the influence of some things that I wasn't supposed to be under the influence of. I felt like I was having an out-of-body experience, like I was five feet away from myself watching me talk to someone. I didn't see us with my physical eyes or hear us with my physical ears, but it was like the clearest, softest voice you'll ever hear and um i felt like it was saying to me i'm with you and everything is okay and that was kind of the beginning of me not being an atheist anymore you've taken the most traumatic event that could have ever happened to a parent and you've now transformed it into a mission can you tell us about that yes i'd love to it's jesse's legacy project it's what i've come to believe um call me crazy and i know this is just my beliefs but i feel like um it's what she's here for. And uh, we, the mission is a dual mission. It's ending male-on-female violence and inspiring love over hate in our sometimes crazy, sick world that we find ourselves in. And what we, we do three things. Um, now we do presentations. We've done about 125 for 16,000 people in six states here now in the States in prisons and schools and churches and community groups. Um, uh, we do a lot of media outreach. We, this is our third radio campaign. We've done over 30 live radio interviews. We have four TV documentary films, including Dateline, that have reached tens of millions on five continents with Jesse's story and her project. Um, print media, we just did our first print campaign in the fall and reached 40 million UVPMs. I don't know if that's real people, but I guess that's how you measure it in the electronic print world. <laughs> um, social media, we, we reach about thirty to 40,000 uh, people on our social media per month. So we do a lot of outreach, just sharing the story. Just uh, you know, I don't think there's anything m more powerful in this world than a personal story of tragedy and trauma and overcoming survivorship and then turning it into a mission. But the third thing we do is the best thing. It's a local project at her high school to measurably decrease violence, domestic violence, dating violence, sexual assault, and human trafficking. What are some of the stats when it comes to uh, violence against women and especially uh, young women? Like, It's so shocking to hear about something like what happened to your daughter, but how prevalent of a problem is it? You know, Mike, if Jesse was one in a million, I wouldn't be on the phone with you guys today. I wouldn't have this project. And before it happened, that's what I would have thought. I was an uninformed guy, typical of many of us. Yeah. And um, sorry, I don't mean to be insulting to those of us who, who had more education about this than me. But it, ironically, J 
Jessie was a girl of causes. Her last big cause in life was male and female violence, and she tried to tell me about it. And I listened, but I didn't really get it. Hmm. But um, when it happened to her, I started to self-educate. And here's what I've learned. It's one out of three of our girls and women will be sexually assaulted in their lifetime. Wow. One out of four, domestic violence. And our boys aren't that different. One out of six of our boys, and one out of, uh, for sexual assault, one out of seven of our boys will experience some form of domestic violence. Ten girls and women killed in the United States by a man, usually an intimate partner, every single day. Ten more Jessies every day, day after day after day. And the numbers just go on and on. It's crazy. It's everywhere. It's embedded in who we are and our culture. And I believe it's the next and greatest uh, social justice movement. Since you've started the Love is Greater Than Hate project, what has the response been like? Uh, well, people say everything. And, you know, how you can hate love, I don't quite understand, but that does happen. Hmm. Um, but I've been blown away for six years now by, you know, 99 point something percent have been just amazingly responsive and supportive. And I feel like, I, you know, I, I feel bad about, like, I'm always telling my story and getting all kinds of attention. And people have been receptive and, they, um, and, and comforting and empowering and they want to help, they want to do something, they want to share. I've just been blown away by the goodness and the bigness of people. Um, it's been almost a uniform, <clears throat> real positive response, but not totally, especially with men, especially with young men. Sometimes we're threatened when we feel attacked, and I'm not trying to attack men. I'm trying to um, call us to be better because we are. For parents who have been through a similar situation or maybe have had their child harmed in one way or another, what would you say to them? You know, there's so much to say. The first thing I would say to people who love them is, um, don't give them advice. Just be with them. Mm. Just sit with them and do your very, very best to bite your tongue and listen. Try your best to create a safe space when they're ready, if they're ready, to talk about it. Um, number two, everybody grieves differently. So try to understand how they grieve. Me and Joy are almost polar opposites in how we're going through this together. We have to under And 79% of marriages don't survive the loss of a child <clears throat> there's usually there's so much grief and it turns at some point to anger and which often being human turns to blame you can't blame each other don't blame stick together we sat on the couch between detective interviews that first day and joy turned to me joy's canadian by the way so she's the smart one of the two of us she turned to me and said honey marriages break up over this stuff and we didn't know that statistic at the time she said we got to stick together so we vowed to and um, it's made us closer and stronger. So everyone grieves differently. Don't blame. Stick together. Accept the struggle. You know, violence has a forever impact. It's a daily struggle, and it's going to be one forever when it's a, a loss this size. But there's hope, and there's light at the end of the tunnel, and everything, in my opinion now, everything fits into a pattern for good for for those who love him. Tell us a little bit about Jesse, you mentioned earlier, like, it might sound weird, but you kind of believe in a way maybe that's what she was here for. What was she like as a, a little girl and a young woman? Oh, my gosh. Well, <clears throat> she she taught herself cursive writing off a placemat that Joy fed her on when she was four. We didn't even know <laughs> wow. it until she got into first grade. 
she came home crushed the day of first grade because the teacher said had asked for volunteers to write a word up on the board and uh, Jesse wrote in cursive and the teacher said we're not doing that yet Jesse and she lost her chance to show off all <laughs> deflated the teacher on the by the third day had created her own curriculum <clears throat> Jesse's I, I'm going to be a dad now this is totally bragging I'm so sorry but <laughs> this is her brilliant she um her first spelling word, the class's first word was and. Jesse's first word was metamorphosis. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> um, but she, you know, she loved school in elementary school. In middle school, the game started to change like it does for many of us. And her eyes opened and her heart broke. And she, I watched her social justice conscience explode. And it was the coolest thing for dad. It was really hard. I feel like she was an old soul who somehow, some way knew she, her time was short and she had to pack a lot in. Mm. And her friends will tell you that, too. Um, I don't know what else to say about her. She had a reach that I, I knew her better than everyone. And for two years after her death, people were still coming out of the woodworks from all over our state and, and uh, places. You know, I, she had friends I didn't know she had, many, many, many. Just big reach, big heart, big impact, um, talented, musically talented. She had 28 young students coming to our house in her last months on the planet to take violin, piano, and voice lessons from her. And I'd watch the six-year-olds run down our driveway on their tippy-toes, all inspired by my daughter. That was Jesse. Uh, you have a shop on your website. Tell us a little bit about how we can find that. There's a lot of items on there and what that's all about. Oh, thank you. We're, we're <laughs> you can find out I'm not, I'm not a very good salesman. Um, <laughs> we, the shop is kind of small and humble and if people want to buy stuff, that's one way we get a little revenue stream. That's great. It's mostly message based and mission based. We have wristbands for people who want to wear the Love is Greater Than Hate project. Uh, on their wrist. Um, um, I wrote a book. I couldn't help it. I'm not an author, but a book just flew out of me. And it's an amazing story by all accounts. Um, it's the whole story. It's what happened and the criminal investigation and my spiritual journey and about two dozen crazy things I used to call signs and now I just call answers to that desperate middle-of-the-night prayer. Mm. Um, so there's stuff like that on there that people can order. Our website is L-I-G-T-H. That stands for love is greater than hate. L-I-G-T-H. And watch out, your device might autocorrect that to light. It's L-I-G-T-H.org. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, there's just a toolbar at the top that says shop on one side. Uh, thank you so much for sharing your journey with us. Here's a question. Uh, you talked a lot about your spiritual journey. How can we pray for you and, and your wife and the work that you're doing? Oh, my gosh. Prayer has become a thing for me, you guys. Um, I, the only way I can explain the irrational, unreasonable, nonsensical, deep and profound peace that I had for the year, the first year, is we apparently had thousands and thousands and thousands of people praying for us. Mm. And... Um, <clears throat> So I welcome that, and I love that. And um, why don't you, you know, I'm so well prayed for. Why don't you just pray for love 
take over this planet or, or pray for someone else who needs love because me and Jesse have plenty now. Well, such an amazing story. Thanks so much for joining us today, Dr. Blodgett. Remember, if you want to listen to the full conversation, you can always do that by visiting your radio station's website. We'll talk to you again on Connections.